0: Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. As-salamu alayhi wa bara alayhi wa sallamu 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 wa sallamu alayhi wa A long time ago, a few years ago on this program, we actually uh, used to initially answer some questions from the listeners that were at that time actually sent in by WhatsApp or message, to the station. And, you know, for a long time, we have not been able to do that, uh, but I found sometimes that to be very beneficial. So sometimes, before beginning the talk, inshallah, we don't have that facility anymore, unfortunately, that listeners can ask questions live. Uh, But different people... Uh, and different places ask me different questions all the time. And sometimes I do get a question that I think that uh, others would, uh, you know, be able to uh, benefit from. And uh, in cases like that, I would actually like to begin this program by mentioning some of those questions. All right. Uh, the first question is it's a very mundane question. A uh, very simple question. Some listeners may find it even to be a, quote-unquote, uh, a question on a very particular minutiae topic. Um, but I'm going to use this question uh, and its answer, inshallah, to, you know, open up the topic uh, that I just want to talk about tonight. Uh, the question uh, that I was asked uh, is, uh, about the Maria-Sheikh relationship. And a uh, question, uh, something, you know, I will just rephrase the question actually for the benefit of the general audience, is that to what extent is submission uh, and surrendering one's sovereignty Uh to what extent is submission to the sheikh and surrendering one's sovereignty to the sheikh required uh, for progress and development on the spiritual path. Now, I I want to use this question to explain several things tonight. The important thing is that we must always remember that in our dean there is no doubt a very long-standing tradition of adab and respect and love indeed for one's teachers. However, even all of that respect and all of that love is never to be exclusively for the persona or personality or what in, or there is known as shafiya, uh, the particular person of the teacher, but rather it is for the guidance of the teacher, and that guidance being obviously necessarily uh, on the Quran and Sunnah. And what happened over time, and I, I, I have seen this a bit more in the Eastern cultures of India, Pakistan, and many of the descendants or immigrants of India and Pakistan and Bangladesh, South Asia in Western or other countries, is a slight imbalance, let's put it that way. I wouldn't call it extreme, but I would definitely say overdoing it. Uh, And that is a loyalty to a person, or to use the words of the question, a submission, or surrendering of one's sovereignty, and that's not required uh, for progress on the spiritual path. Uh, Now, I did talk about this uh, several months ago, but you do sometimes find certain statements and sentences in medieval or later works of the Sobos that seem to suggest precisely such a surrender. The most famous uh, sentence in Arabic would be which uh, is actually telling the spiritual aspirant, disciple, murid, salik, student, seeker, to surrender themselves are all first translated and losing is like putty in the hands of their shaykh. The literal translation is to present themselves the way the corpse is in front of the person who is performing the ritual bath on it and obviously the corpse is a person whose ruhu uh, has been taken out and has no life, and therefore it's like putty, means it's completely submissive. So when the person turns the corpse on its left, it turns on its left, and he lifts the arm, it lifts the arm. It offers no resistance whatsoever. Now, I also think it's unfair to the medieval tradition of the soul to simply pluck out one sentence like that, and sometimes, especially in the nature of Arabic language and the way it's expressed both in poetry and prose, sometimes statements are made rhetorically, uh, but they don't mean that a person should have absolute and complete submission or surrender one's sovereignty and sense of self and individual to a sheikh. That's not required. Uh, And in fact, not only is it not required, uh, I think that would actually go against Uh, the spirit of being and many of the teachings of being. That level of submission, the word submission and surrender, should only be used for Allah SWT. Then we submit and that obviously is absolutely completely entirely and we surrender absolutely completely entirely to Allah SWT, the Deen of Islam, Quran Kareem, the authentic Sunnah of the Deer Kareem, Allah right? And there's no no necessity to have complete absolute submission or surrender to the shaykh. What does exist and what is necessary and crucial and essential and vital to progress on the spiritual path for those who have taken their method of peskia such that they have a guide and shaykh for their peskia is to follow the peskia instructions of the sheikh. Now, it's always a standard thing, but anytime you're talking about anything in Islam, it's understood that the instructions of any teacher the teacher of Quran or Hadith or Fiqh or history or any aspect of Islamic learning, the teachings must obviously conform to the Quran and the Sharia. So that's understood, and I think sometimes some of us uh, overdo that sensibility of always having to insert that. It's, it many times is perfectly fine to accept that as understood. I think it's similar to you know Muslims always having to apologize for every act of tenseless violence that may take place in the world. And the reality is that we don't, want, we don't have to keep apologizing. Just like that, the tradition of the Sohoff doesn't have to engage in the apologetics and always reassert, because it's understood it's the default position for every branch of Islamic learning that whatever is taught must be according to the grounds and the sharia, otherwise it has no place in Islam, all right? Now, the place that the Sohoff has in Islam Uh, when the Shaykh gives some instructions on Tuzkiyya. Now, the level of which, now when we say you should follow instructions of the Shaykh, it doesn't mean it's at the level of Fard, like the Rukun of Salah, or the uh, Rukun, you know, the pillar of daily prayers, or the pillar of fasting, the month of Ramadan, it's not a shari obligation. Rather, in any relationship of learning, even, I would say, any relationship with sharing, in any relationship in which we want it to be mutually beneficial, there has to be a willingness to learn. But it doesn't mean that the Sheikh should lord over. I'm using that word because that's an inappropriate word, right? The lord over the murid, or the Sheikh should have an abusive relationship or dominant relationship with the marid. And, you know, we have to accept that there are many things in this world that are good that can lend themselves to abuse. And that is exactly one of the twisted evils of it it, it, Obviously, number one, he tries to involve Mu'tmanin and believers in sin. And the second thing is that he tries to twist that which is good into something which is evil. All right? So it's actually... And the correction here is actually more on the part of the sheikh than on the breed. The mashai should not have uh, an extremely dominant and sovereign uh, attitude towards the students, and students should also not try to create that environment or think that they can earn the favors of the sheikh by being extremely submissive and docile in their behavior. It's simply a learning, instructional relationship. And yes, no doubt, there's an element of sohba which you can say is a spiritual aspect of that relationship. But again, that is an order to connect to the heart of the Shaykh because of the taqwa or haya or sunnah or love for Allah is in the heart of the Shaykh. Not for the individual personality, characteristics, or traits of the Shaykh. That's why it's very important whenever a person uh, consults their Shaykh on any matter, of any or religious uh, counseling, uh, they must speak openly and genuinely and completely so that they feel that they have presented uh, whatever the matter is to the best of their ability with all of its details to the sheikh. And when the sheikh gives them guidance, now that guidance is not infallible because the, even the greatest of all the are not infallible. But uh, that guidance is based on the knowledge, wisdom, experience of the shaykh, and there's a very, very high probability, but not infallibility, but very, very high probability of being a beneficial course of action for the student. The student then should also make his turn to Allah Spantana, and then after turning to Allah and making the shalda, uh consultation with the shaykh on that matter, if their heart feels content this is the third step, then, because really, after istikhara one must turn to one's own heart. One turns to Allah in the prayer of Yisdaqara, asking Allah to turn our heart, and then after that, we have to turn to our own heart to see if we can feel Allah's turning of our heart. In that case, a person can act on the basis of the Mishra. And this is generally an aspect of Islam, uh, you know, that when we make shura or consultation with someone, so let's say if it's the household matter, the husband is the emir. If it's some other institutional, organizational matter, then maybe somebody else is appointed as the emir. And we feel that there's barakah in the consultation, the mushawara, and then after the mashawara and dua and istishada, the then there is barakah in following the decision of the emir. All right. Uh, so these are a few things. Uh, I took uh, opportunity to answer this question. And tonight, actually, I want to talk about a very important topic, which is etadah. Etadah is a word, uh, and it means balance. It can mean equilibrium. Uh, and it sometimes is wrongly translated as moderation, uh, because moderation in the current contemporary context of Islamic, or rather I wouldn't say Islamic, but Muslims who want to be modernist and reformist. Uh, By moderation, they actually mean to dilute uh, and weaken and dampen the absolute original formula of deen. So I'm talking within the classical tradition of the ulama Masha'esh, within uh, staunch and steadfast adherence to the principles of sharia and sunnah and taqwa, a person has to find it to them. And this is another thing that a lot of uh, the ummah is suffering from, is what is known as guluv. Hulu is the opposite of itidal. So itidal means balance and equilibrium. Ghulu means to be imbalanced, to be biased, uh, to be maybe even extreme or to be partisan in certain things. Uh, and I'm reminded here actually, Sheikh uh, Al-Adi Sulana Muhammad Zakariya Khan Dilviri Mulatana, yes, he wrote a book uh, called Itidal. Uh, if I'm correct, it was Al-Itidal fee. Vijal, but it's not about Vijal in the sense of the name. It was actually uh, basically about this issue that had come up in the British period and maybe even soon after independence of in India, that there were different views uh, amongst the ulama uh, in India, whether, uh, you know, India-British India British should be partitioned uh, into India and Pakistan. As Historically, that did not to be the case, and that's what we have today. Or whether all of the Muslims should remain in a single, undivided India. And the first position was taken amongst by many ulama, uh, including Sheikh Ashaf Ali And the second position, that no India should remain undivided, and that's actually what's better for the Muslims, was taken again by many ulama, one of which was Sheikh uh, Mulana Hussein Ahmed Madni Rimulatana. And you know, this was an interesting thing that I think Cyclades was a good anti being junior to both of those elders. He was more on the ground. And this is the nature in any system. Just like in the army, you have the generals who may be in their planning rooms, and then you have the colonels and the captains and the sergeants and the majors who are on the ground. And sometimes the people who are on the ground, they have a better uh, vantage point, to observe the ground reality, and they're actually experiencing it. The Shaykh al-Hadith Mahamam is a career in He actually was able to observe in highest practicing believers who had taken it upon themselves to follow the guidance of ulama and in matters of deen, but also matters of siyasa, also matters of what should be the future of the Muslims politically, socially, etc. And they were confused because they were, you know, very, very senior, pious. Uh, I mean, these are two of the greatest ulama to have lived in the entire 20th century, right? Sheikh Malala Shafri Panri and Sheikh Malala Shafri Mandir but on this particular issue, uh, they had uh, completely opposite views and positions. And for the average person, uh, in fact, not just for the average, even for the average alam at that time, for the above average alam at that time, Many of them found themselves in a predicament. Uh, now it wasn't actually just a predicament, however, that made Sheikh a Karin of the write this book. What happened was that when people were confused, an increasing number of people ended up in a hulu. And again, a hulu means they became partisans and they were they were losing their balance and losing their equilibrium and they were the feeling due to their personal conviction that one opinion on this question was correct they were thinking that that necessi- necessitates them to view the other opinion as incorrect and then to go further to belittle those who hold the other opinion and then this leads to schism means divide and division and ill and ill feelings so it's noticing the second thing it wasn't just the confusion it was the guru, the Qantashek of, of the of drama, to write this work. So here, uh, I was telling you, uh, that I, I was sharing with our listeners, that we wanted to talk about this concept of I- I- tidal, right? Now in itidal, uh, we have to, in itidal, it means that you have to realize that there are multiple ways of doing things. Uh and brilliantly Sheikh Alis he showed this and this is something that when you know we were studying hadith with uh one of our friends, and i I can even call him my style, uh you know, he brilliantly once went when sitting with a bunch of university students who also found this whole multiplicity of opinion perplexing it's easily demonstrable from the works of history and hadith and fiqh that there are multiple understandings at the time of Sahaba Tabin Tabatabin, which means, in other words, within the righteous, pious, quality, ulama, uliya, there there's the multiplicity, multiple understandings, and multiple ways of doing things from the very beginning. And, uh, that is, it takes a certain zarif and a and a It takes a certain forbearance, a certain breadth and depth of heart to be able to accept and appreciate uh, these multiple understandings. Now, what we've observed in recent times, uh, well, actually, it was something in, uh, probably the Sathamana, Ilyas observed in his time, and that is is that, you know, in the surrounding uh because really we're living in a time of great fitna, uh, and we're living I think people are sometimes blind, not when say blinded, but people are sometimes overly focused on the political fitness afflicting the ummah that they are blurred and unable to see the real fitna which is a spiritual fitna, affecting this ummah, you know? Uh, And the spiritual fitna is that there's too much sin and too much temptation to sin, too much attraction of sin, and too many believers who have fallen into major sins. And that is something that I think is more a sign of the end of time than the political fitnas because, you know, as I've repeated before as well, if a person really knows their Muslim history, uh, there have been actually many greater political fitna than the type of fitna that we are experiencing today. Uh, no doubt. Um, it doesn't mean a person should very much in particular uh, perhaps the greater fitna of our time right now is the tragedy and trauma of Syria. Uh, and a person should never be blinded to that. right? Uh, and those who have any ability and any capability in any way, shape, or form to repel that injustice and oppression should do that. And those who are unable and have no ability and capability should support by any and all means, and certainly their doors and prayers, uh, any and every effort to bring about uh, a just uh, solution or a peaceful solution uh, in a way that counter the injustice there. In addition to these political fitness that has made people worried is the spiritual fitness. And what we have is because of the fitness of sin, then we have observed sometimes in certain segments, uh, in certain communities of the more practicing pious believers, a
1: reaction
0: uh, to seclude oneself. And it, it's a very tempting thing. And no doubt even the hadith Nabi Akareen about the end of time, about the you know, nearness towards the end of time that there will come a time when things are so bad. Uh, I am mean, just paraphrasing this it is generally that when things are so bad that a person should uh, you know will want to just save their own being. And no doubt Allah SWT himself mentioned that in Anfuskum Nara, that you must save yourself first and foremost and then your ahl. And al means obviously your intimate near relatives, but al can really mean in some sense entire ummah from the fire agenda. So in the time of the British, uh Muhammad al the must have observed this as well, that for a lot of the pious believers this was becoming a fitna. First was the fitna of the colonial occupation, and second was this what they perceived to be a fitna, which was a trial and a test for them. A different great ulama were differing about what's the way forward, right? And then obviously after independence, there was another fitna, secularism, that it both in the handbooks. Now, some people in such situations, they take that position that they will just withdraw uh, and they will adopt solitude or limit their company, limit their interaction. And the reason is that because, you know, obviously if you live a very solitary uh, exclusive uh, lifestyle disconnected from society in order to protect your own taqwa and the taqwa of your family, it's easier to do that. And when a person is engaged in society, it's more difficult to do that. And whether consciously or most likely not consciously, many of the Mishai ulama were gradually falling into that retreat and Sheikh Malala Ilyas, he realized that actually it should be exactly the opposite, that this is a time for outreach. Because no doubt those who are ill and those who are sicker will be able to save themselves with the fuzzle and term of Allah And there's a good chance that they can create an environment of piety in their home or on their street or on their enclaves. But the problem is if they do that, then what can happen for the rest of the ummah? And who is it other than the Ulama and Masha'i who can actually save and guide the Ummah from this very titna of lack of spirituality and sin? So now he came up with one way, and it's not the only way, that he came up with one way to basically revive Dawa. And that particular way is the way of Pajmatu the And there were, in addition uh, to that, there were Ulama and Masha'i who also, not believe that one should retreat uh, and become a recluse or seclude oneself into these closed communities, but rather a person has to go out into Dawa. Now, how does one balance these two things? That's what's called Iqbala. How do you have the balance and equilibrium of being able to, you know, safeguard your own taqwa and that of obviously your family and near ones and dear ones, at the same time, to venture out in Dawa and reach people whose contexts and communities and systems of education and backgrounds and weekend life and daily lifestyle and so many things about them have become so far distant from being, you know. And one perfect example of that is how do you reach out to young men and women uh, who the West has given them as teenagers? How do you reach out to teenagers? Now, I'm not talking about the teenagers who are extremely religious and pious and upright and are already completely enamored with the ulama and mashiach of the community and therefore are being guided according to classical traditional ilm, and zikr and thereby being able to stay away from sin. And because, you know, the way I just described that, any sensible person would know that the minority of teenagers in the Muslim ummah fall into that category. The overwhelming majority, not slight majority, the overwhelming and vast majority of teenagers in our ummah, and this is exactly both the sign and the cause and the result of our decline, is that the overwhelmingly vast majority of the teenagers in our ummah are very distant, distant from Allah, distant from the teachings of the saying, distant from grammar cream, let alone distant from and Masha'iq, and institutions of Islamic learning. And the overwhelming majority, and now I speak as a person who literally has been working with teenage and college youth for over 20 years. My first series of talks was in 1996 in Manhattan at different colleges and universities over there, all right? And uh, I can tell you honestly, through this experience across different countries and across two decades now, the vast majority of people in that age group are suffering from an extreme attraction to sin, are indulging in varying levels of sin, and not the majority, but a sizable minority, a very disturbingly worrying, sizable minority even has had bouts of doubts of Allah, skepticism about the deen, of the iman, and protect the iman of everyone and bring it to Ukraine. But even doubts about Allah, doubts about the Prophet, these a constant onslaught of first secularism, then progressive, modernist, reformist Muslim thought, and even exposure to agnostics and atheists. And unless there is a serious Dawa effort to reach them, uh, you will lose them. Now, there are some who are of the opinion that one should pretty much seclude oneself and not engage in outreach type of Dawa efforts and only invite others uh, to the more traditional, classic g- gatherings and masajids and institutions of Islamic learning, that we leave it up to fault, Allah to guide. And he will give hidayah, and uh, no doubt they will also see that Allah Ta'ala, mash- does give hidayah to youth and sometimes guides youth to the masjid, guides youth to ulama, guides youth to mashaikh. And sometimes those masajids of ulama and mashaikh have not made any outreach effort whatsoever. But Allah sends you to them. There's no doubt about that. But again, somebody who's on the ground, so not maybe the most senior alim or senior sheikh may not be able to perceive this because they're, like I told you, the generals. But somebody who's on the ground will see that for every one or two young men and women who Allah Spantala, guides right to the doorstep of the ulama and there are hundreds of young Muslim men and women who aren't, uh, who don't get to seek to get such hidayah. And the question is, should one leave them on their own devices or should one engage in some type of outreach dawah? Now, the itadal here is that when a person makes dawah in an outreach way, which means, again, having to go out and engage and interact with them in their settings and in their contexts. And their settings and contexts are very often removed, uh, far removed from the sentiments of Islam. So there have to be some guidelines on that. And the guideline is Sharia. The guideline is Sharia. And the guideline is that when a person makes Nawa, they cannot do anything that is against the Sharia. Salaf is Shara. Now there's another term our ulama and I use, which is Ola. Salaf means that not only should a person not do something against Sharia, but a person should take the most strict and most precautionary position and stance. If a person does that, it's going to be hard to make dawa. You know, I was recently, and I know it's a very controversial subject in this in South Africa, uh, I was reading this fatwa uh, posted on one of the websites, and the fatwa, although not written, but it was signed, uh, by uh, Sheikh Luliz Mu'ana Fazul Rahman uh, and it was about this whole issue of women, and I'm not you know, formally a member of the Bliqa Jamaat, but it was an issue that had arisen about uh, women jamaats going out in the Blik, And there were some elder muftis in Darul Mubi who suggested very strongly, and actually wrote a formal fatwa on this, that this should not be done. And then there was a response written by some—I can't remember the name of the South African—but it was something that was approved by most of the room to sign, al-Malami, that known that the women's can be done. And this is a perfect example of what uh, I was saying: is there can be multiple opinions, and there may even be multiple opinions as to what is the preferred way in the Sharia, right? And there's always this thing in our share what's permissible and what's preferred and what's ideal. And sometimes people who are in the field of dawah, they can never leave they can never leave the permissible and go into impermissible because of haram. But sometimes they may actually drop from what is ideal and preferred under normal circumstances and drop down to something which is permissible for the sake of the outreach in the dawah because they view the dawah itself to be what is preferred in such circumstances. And this requires an etidah. And you know, it may mean, be very happy to see that alhamdulillah there are still people like that uh, in South Africa, Mufti Grim Desai, Mufti and uh, alhamdulillah, those bless that country with uh, Muftis who have itidal, uh, And we can only hope uh, that increasing numbers of the community follow such elder Muftis on this path of itadal uh, and understand uh, that Uh, A person has to be balanced, uh, and a person has to be honest, and a person has to be humble also. Uh, And I think that it takes a lot of humility to be able to understand and appreciate and accept a position that may not be your own. It may not even be something that we would want for our own children, no doubt. I mean, because, again, when we move into our home environment, or we move into how we would do things at our own institute, our own madis, our own Hanka our own masjid, our own idara, then obviously then we come back to the more traditional uh, classical methods of trying to do what is preferred and ideal, but when you're outreach when you're on engaging and reaching out to somebody on their own turf and on their own terms or uh, trying to save uh, youth from you know atheism uh, i mean I'll give an example of another question uh, that recently came you know, a cross was so something to do with you know Islamic dress and appearance. Uh, but really, you know, when you're talking about a young man who obviously the questioner I mean doesn't has to have such experience. But we're talking I'm I'm talking right now about young men who aren't even praying five times a day regularly, are having doubts and questions about their rub, are very distant from the vehicle, from the And the very first thing and foremost thing for me to introduce them is that they have to have a fistful beard and have long sunnah dress. It can't be the first thing because they're not ready for that. And they have a much more serious disease. They're imam. Their very imam is in crisis. It doesn't mean, obviously, we must carry ourselves and represent the sunnah appearance and dress in front of them. And throughout uh, our engagement with them, there will be mention of the Prophet Sunnah, the Sunnah, but if there is a student who comes to an event and they don't have that sunnah appearance yet, uh, and maybe in that particular event we didn't talk about that sunnah appearance, or we did not restrict the event to those who have the sunnah appearance, that is because it is power and it is outreach, as opposed to you know the type of standards we would have to qualify somebody as an alim or to maybe even accept somebody as a murid, right? And so I think that. It's a real tragedy uh, that people have become desensitized and numb to the political fitness, and they have lost their uh when it comes to the spiritual fitness. And it's a shame because it's really only the uh, knowledgeable and the pious who have any. The Ummah can only have hope in the knowledgeable and the pious of saving them. So uh, I would just end by saying that this principle of itadal is very important also for the seeker on the path of the Tasselov. And we must be careful to protect ourselves from any and all types of biases, partisanship, extreme oppositions. Uh, and it's only when we have that itadal, and that's what Allah s.a.w. meant in the Quran, this concept of the middle or median or balanced um uh, may Allah accept this presentation from us and may Allah guide all the listeners uh to reflect upon what was said and May Allah guide us on the Path of Satan on Waqim Dawana and Alhamdulillah.